Yo, 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 guys, it's the kid, 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 it's the kid here for another episode of Womb with my partner in crime here, Mr. Machine. What up, Machine? Hey, what's going on? Glad All to right. Um, so for this um, episode, well, we're actually going to have a nice do the debates here. We're going to have a nice debate here because this is a film that many people consider the greatest action film of all time. And, myself included. Myself included. Okay, and I disagree with that. And I don't. I not only disagree with that. I don't even view it as an action film. I view it much more as a comedy action film, more so than any, anything. So that's just my view there. So, um, but we'll obviously get into that in a moment. But let's just first start with with Die Hard. Um, so I think the first place to start is the script. Um, so. The original script was done by a chap named Jeb Stewart. Um, and he and it was obviously based on a novel. So I'm trying to get what the name of the novel. I think the name of the novel novel might be Nobody Lives Forever, I believe. Let me just try and double check that right now because that's very um aha, nobody lives forever. Yeah, but it's 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 uh it's one of those uh sort of obscure novels. They might have been a, a oh, hit back in sorry, the day. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Nothing, yes. Nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts forever. So because I think... That sounds like a Bond flick. Yeah, it does. What's it called? Tomorrow Never Dies. What's it called? So basically, it was um, written by a writer called Roderick Thorpe. And the basis of the Die Hard film came from that novel in terms of um, building and a story that took place within the the, the building. But it is very important this story because it's it's forms a strong argument as to why I think this should be called much more of an action comedy rather than just an action movie. And even I think it's more of a comedy. No, I think that the, the comedic elements override the action <laughs> elements more a lot more. Of a but, comedy. I think you're, you you may be you may be influenced by the fact that uh, Bruce Willis had just come off of uh, Moonlighting. Moonlighting. No, 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 no. We'll not try. We'll get there, but. I don't want to be unfair there. I don't want to be unfair there because we'll get to moon because moonlighting takes me back to my childhood in Nigeria. So we'll get to, to that. Yeah, same man, same. It's a fantastic show. Oh no, no, look, that's through. my childhood. Moonlighting is my childhood. But basically, yeah. so before we get there, so the initially the script was by um because uh, I mean, okay, there's so let's just start here. I, put, I just remembered I should have put a John McClane avatar. Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, so the script was by Jeb Stewart, who tried to adapt this novel and and obviously the in, in the way it was because remember screenplays in case you guys don't know screenplays go through many many drafts and in most kind of big films with a lot of money rising behind this which this was with obviously joel silver being the producer you normally want to get more and more writers if it's me i like only one writer for a film that's just me but again if it's a big production you have to have four or five writers yeah like that, that's the ideal but it never happens you know oh, no i know i know and a lot of times the guys that get uh, the, the the screen credit aren't aren't really the ones that know nope. that did the most you know yeah no I, I mean it's like um i just feel that when i see one writer i'm confident that's okay this is one singular vision but a lot of films that i see where i it just seems a lot of quite con confusing and I look at the credits, I'm like, oh, wow, They're like, there were five writers here. So this went mm -hmm. through like 10, 
15 different yeah, rewrites written, with three different brains. So yeah, written by committee, and, and that's when that's when you know usually it's it's almost always a disaster when it when it happens that way. And that, unfortunately, like 90% of movies are done that way. I feel like you have to really be a superstar writer before you can say, "Excuse me, you know, I'm taking over. This is me, and you know, uh, my vision." And maybe the directors can can sort of help out, but uh, but that's it, you know, no studio interference. But, you need a lot of clout to get to that. That's position, like an right? ideal world, though. That's unfortunate. Yeah. That's that's not an ideal. Unfortunately, I mean, in an ideal world, it'd be great if there was no studio interference. But you know, it is how it is. Um, so. When Jeb Stewart had the script and so forth, the production company weren't happy with it. They felt that it needed a bit more comedy and a few more jokes. And that is where we now see the introduction of a Mr. Steven D'Souza, who came in to inject more jokes, more comedy, and more levity into um, the movie. So... Because I don't really, because I, I, I think the, the the biggest debate we'll have is what genre should this be, should this be on. But I just wanted to, to give that background because we're gonna get back to this whole thing of what genre should be really labeled Die Hard. But let's first start with John McTiernan, the director. Now, I would again, I think we even I don't know whether we discussed this on Womb on on this our Womb thing with regards to how good Die Hard three is. Um, yeah, what? we did. Yeah, oh, yeah, we did. We did. Of, we did. Okay. Yeah. Massive fan of Die Hard three. Yeah. No, great. I mean, I think and, we, you said like it's probably the best opening twenty minutes to any action film ever. Those opening twenty minutes, probably one of the best in any action film I've, I've seen. No, it's fantastic, and, and, and not even the twenty minutes. Well, just the first uh, fifteen seconds is amazing how it opens. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 But, yeah. But. Um, but McTiernan, I place as one of my top three directors, period. Forget action directors. I, I hate when they, they say, like, oh, he's a great action director. Yes, he's a great action director. Hunts for Red, Red, Red October was a really good film. He's just an amazing filmmaker, period. Yeah. And uh, and in fact, if you, really wait, 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 wait. if you master did, the, the, the did action Did he do Hunts for Red October? Did he do Hunts for yeah, Red October? he did. Yeah. He did. And he did uh, last, uh, uh, last Action Hero and The Last Boy Scout and uh, Die Hard 3, Predator. Uh, you know, he did Last Boy Scout. Yeah, he did with uh, with uh, Bruce Willis as well. I think so. Was it was it him or was it? Now I'm confused. Or was it uh, Tony, Tony Scott? I just checked. It, it, was, it was Tony. It Scott. was Tony Scott, right? Tony okay, Scott, yeah. yeah. It was torn between him and yeah. But anyway, like he's um, one of the goat uh, directors uh, for me. I, I place him. You know, people like to. Be snobbish about films and uh, and be very highbrow and say, "Oh, Kubrick uh, over a glass of whiskey." But I'll take McTiernan over Kubrick. Oh no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if, no, no, for sure. I mean, like, I think, yeah, because it's, it's 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 my that's my main thing with James Cameron is like people be like, "Oh no, no, he, James Cameron is he just does mainstream movies." You know, Kubrick and Hitchcock and Paul Thomas Anderson, who I really don't like his films, are much highbrow. But no. James Cameron, I will put right in the same category as a Coppola, as a Kubrick, because what he does is extremely hard to do. But let's just get back to McTiernan. Now, this was... Because it's very key here to look at the timescale. This was after Predator. 
And I think because Predator was 1987, this was 1988. So I believe this was his, this was the film just after he did Predator. So coming off of Predator, which again was an incredible, incredible film, like classic film. Yeah. Um, maybe we, we should actually, because I think we did an episode of Predator. I, I, I might want to do another one with it with you again, but we'll, we'll see. So, okay. um, McTiernan coming into this was very important because when you look, and obviously maybe you can speak more on this. When see if it's let's say an action movie where it's multiple locations and so forth, pretty much any director can go ahead and do it. But the complexities involved in doing an action film where I believe so. In, so basically, just a little background: the building they used was a Fox building. It's the, Fox, it's the Fox Plaza. Fo Actually, Fox when Plaza. I, when I and, 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 and also, also, so when they were filming, most of the middle block were filled with employees. So they could only use the very top block and the very bottom. So that's even made it even much more difficult with regards to, remember, you're working under time, under pressure, and you have to really think on your feet. So McTierre... There are very few directors who could have pulled off what McTiernan did in terms of delivering amazing, visceral, realistic action in a confined space. Yeah, uh, I mean, and to, and to keep it dynamic and uh, and everything. Yeah, uh, just uh, as an aside, when I moved, you know, I lived in LA for eight years, and when I first moved there. Uh, I we got an apartment in this place called Century City, which is where Die Hard was shot. Okay, with the view straight to Nakatomi Plaza. You know that that was the dream. You know, I knew that. Well, it couldn't it couldn't be better than uh, than this. You know, it's my dream come true. But anyway, um, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I don't think anybody else could have pulled it off the way that uh, McTiernan did because he's such a slick uh, director. And uh, so good about uh, the way he frames shots and everything, and uh, and, mm. and, and keeping everything dynamic and uh, and moving at a brisk pace, but not overly so. You know, he knows how to slow things down, and he's a master of tempo, really. Mm. And uh, he's just a directorial master. If you if you look at the the movie from the beginning uh, from beginning to end, uh, and, and and look at just how it's shot and and and, and edited and 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 the music and the way that they, the use of music is just insane as well. Uh, fantastic. One of my favorite scores of all time. That, oh, jingle, that, that jingle, that jingle, that's, you know, the Christmas jingle that's always, uh, you know, like in its, uh, in very high pressure moments where like the music's like, you still hear the jingle behind, you know. Uh, it's really a masterful uh, composition. I forget by by uh, who the who the composer is. Actually, I can't believe I forgot. But um, uh, no, no, no. I mean, no. I think Michael Kamen. Oh, wait, wait, Mike, Michael who? Kamen. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. You see, again, just even as you're saying about um, McTiernan, you see, filming again. Like how you mentioned with the whole highbrow and blah blah and so forth, action is one of the most difficult genres to direct. Extremely hard, and it's that's why. See, it's very easy to quote unquote look good doing like a dramatic film. It is very very hard to stand out doing an action film. 
because the key thing is action. There's a lot of moving objects and there's a lot of movement within scenes. And if you don't know how to frame, you don't know how to take in a scene, you don't know how to um, get things, get many pieces moving while keeping the audience engaged, you, you will be, be found out. Hence why you can name on, on one hand really quality action directors that know how to deliver action. And I think especially in this film, whether it was in the confined spaces of inside the building, in the offices, hand-to-hand -hand combat, when they go off to the rooftop, the uses of explosives and so forth, the, the command of the situation by McTiernan is simply amazing. And, I, and you see, because again, obviously, with a lot of these, because actually, you know what, no, because see, when we when we when we talk about Jurassic Park and so forth, people say, "Oh no, Spielberg, Spielberg, Spielberg," you know. Um, and you talk about Terminator, you talk about James Cameron. Whenever we talk about Die Hard, we never really see McTiernan's name mentioned enough. Or am I wrong in that? No, you're not wrong, but he's sort of been ostracized because of yes, some, uh, I was put together. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and that's I, I think he sort of got the 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 short end of the stick when, when, it, when it comes to that, you know, he's not quite as, uh, quite as acclaimed as, 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 as he should be, but probably mm. because of that, I mean, that's the only reason I could think of, you know? Oh, oh no, no, you're I mean, so it's funny, but it's funny that, you know, you have child rapists, child abusers, like, uh, uh, like, um, Polanski, Polanski, who's a fantastic director, but you know, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't do it. You know, that people are what a genius he is, but, but then no, this no, guy, no, I think in the industry, they, the it's done. I think they pick and choose, they always pick and choose. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, he's going to be loved no matter what he does, even if this guy's a child rapist, because he's loved, he's cool, but this guy. Eh, because again, like you know, like you know, Polanski is the darling of everyone. Because again, as you said, he makes that whole highbrow film. But McTiernan, oh yeah, that's that's whole action director. Oh, you involved in that kind of stuff? No, screw you. We're going to now um, ostracize you, which I just think is complete BS. Um, yeah. So now let's go to Bruce Willis, and I think before we even talk about Bruce Willis in this, we've got to go to Moonlighting now. Let me just tell you, and maybe you can tell your own Moonlighting story as well. So my Moonlighting story. So again. Um, Again, as people know, like I'm Nigerian, and I used to literally we like we are like a film family. So I could watch about four, five, six films a day, and we watched because we used to get a lot of American TV shows, a lot of American TV shows. So we would watch Dallas, A Different World, Cosby Show, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, like all Friends, all that kind of stuff. So we we watched so much movies and TVs, and I first knew of Bruce Willis from Moonlighting with Sybil Shepherd, And this was, I, I think, see, I was a bit too young to understand the nuances of the comedy, but because my family loved the show and we watched it all the time, I used to also watch it all the time and I, and I got a lot of the basic comedy. And obviously the chemistry between Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd was like really, really strong and really good. And what was obviously striking was the comedic timing of Bruce Willis in that. And basically he was the show. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was about to say. You could, you know, you could tell from uh, day one, just from the very first episode, that the guy had a star quality. You know what I mean? There's certain guys that just look like stars mm. and have a certain exude, a certain charisma, and Bruce Willis had it in spades. And when I finally saw him, like in a, in a feature film, because usually, 
that you know that transition is very common these days so to go from TV to film and vice versa. Uh, but back in the day, you were if you were in TV, you were sort of yes. boxed in as a TV star. You know, no, no, see, see, no. We have to expand upon that. We need to expand upon that. 1988-87 is very different from 2019-2020. See, right now, when you say TV, Al Pacino is doing a TV series right right now. Some top actors are doing a lot of these TV shows. So TV, basically, this has been the big, the last 10, 15 years has been the biggest boom in TV ever, ever, where a lot of TV shows are better than a lot of films now. And it's not actually like almost yeah. like competing. And that's where the, where the where the money's at and where the creative juices are all... Uh, yep, everything. Yeah. I mean, because I think what someone said is that, because people say, oh, what happened to all of the indie films we had in the 90s? All those indie directors and writers all transitioned to TV because we now had the shift towards comic book films. All those indie directors and indie guys who used to be churning out all these all this films in the 90s, they all went to do t TV. So that was where the transition was. But yeah, back in the 80s, TV was TV, movie was movie. You were either a TV actor or a movie actor. The world never blended. Yeah, very rarely. And but but that's why I'm saying when when it, when when Bruce Willis managed to bridge uh, the divide, I wasn't at all surprised because this guy was just too, you know, a TV screen couldn't contain uh, his well, magnetism. Well, well, be real, but machine. Let's be honest right now. Let's say you were living. Hindsight, hindsight is twenty twenty. But let's say that you were living at that moment in time. Did you really believe that a TV guy could hold down? It's twofold. Wait, wait. It's, it's, it's twofold. First thing is, did you believe back then a TV guy could headline star and be successful as a movie star? Second thing, could you believe that a guy who had comedic romantic chop, um, chops with a chubby belly could be a convincing action star, keeping in mind this was after Rambo, this was after Predator, and this was no, after no, Terminator. That's absolutely that's that that's where the 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 surprise comes in because it's one thing to think, wow, this guy's really good, and I could see him in movies. It's another thing to go, wow, this guy's uh, you know he should be an action star. That not at all, you know, but. Um, and you're right. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Absolutely, it should be an action star. He's he's cater made for it. But who would have known then, right? Mm. Um, I I would have envisioned him seeing doing more of some of the later movies he did, like uh, Look Who's Talking or her. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what's called the, the whole nine yards. Yeah, you know, yeah. The comedic, sort of slightly comedic uh, stuff that that he tried to escape from in the beginning. So because he. And he 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 he'd already had like uh, you know he didn't want to be boxed in like a lot of these uh, actors are that you know once you become too associated with a role, uh, then you can't do anything else. Nobody will cast you in anything else other than that thing. You know, uh, so like he did he did die hard to escape from what he had done in Moonlighting, and then for a while he just did the action thing I think, and then and and then he was comfortable to go back to the comedic uh, genre. Where he sort of like uh, he thrives as well, I feel. And but the let's but the comedy thing then because that is key. We just up at the up at the comedy thing because I think that is what makes the film. 
Forget you, about I, think, I don't know where you're movie. getting that this is a comedy. Though. I think you're overplaying. It's a fu- there's some funny scenes, uh, you know, some funny beats, not even scenes, but um, but I wouldn't. I don't see where you get this uh, this. Comedic, how, how you can But my argument is this, and obviously we may get more towards the journalist. Like my argument is this, is that when I watched this recently, because I think I watched it about, I think I watched it last year or so forth. By the time I got halfway, I was like, this is a really funny film. <laughs> like, there's one thing to have comedic moments. There's another thing of where at almost every third, fourth scene, I'm like laughing out loud as I know that's hilarious. As in, like, because because I'll just think to myself that this is a re- this is it's really good writing. Obviously, it's great delivery from John McClain, but even be beyond John McClain, the stuff that we'll get to Alan Rickman, obviously, the stuff that the police guys do, the cops do. Remember Johnson and Johnson? Yeah, um, the FBI dudes. That are yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Like there was there were so many comedic nuggets in here that I have to shove in the whole thing of this. It's satirical. There's some satirical elements, and and it's funny, and it makes it makes you sort of smile more than laugh, because it's so well uh, executed. I feel no, no, Um, because see, when I say this, it it is in no way to demean, or um, it's not detrimental, or this not to sort of like chastise the film because the comedy is really good. As in, this like really good comedy, you know, and. That is what makes this special and why it holds a very special place because it's changed the ways that people viewed action. Two things. It changed the way that people viewed what an action star could be. It changed the ways in which how you could execute an action film. So as as we said before, Bruce Willis, people's, and especially in the 80s, because the 80s was the height of the action movie star, before Bruce Willis, it was, no, you have to have muscles. You have to have muscles. You have to have a six-pack. You have to look chiseled, you know, and you have to have those one lines, and you have to be a very macho, macho, testosterone-fueled leading man. But he is, uh, uh, in that sense, without without the steroid muscles, but he is, John McClane is, in a way, more... Um, more testosterone uh, filled than any Rambo uh, that came before him. You know? No, no, no. But in a strange way. No, no, no. Like I agree with you, but I think in a different way, because there are there isn't just one way in which in, in which you can be this testosterone fueled kind of character. And one hundred percent, the John McClane is very much an alpha male. One hundred percent, you know. But the way he's an alpha. You don't have to be an alpha he's a male. To have a he's a flawed one. He's, he's, he's somebody that's realistic. Uh, yes. That's so, uh, relatable in a sense. You could see that person existing, whereas Rambo is just a ludicrous. No. You know, it's basically, you, I even want you to even expand upon that. But the point you just made is key. I love Rambo. I love Dutch. I love John Matrix. I love these dudes. I love, what's it called? Cobra. All the dudes. I couldn't relate to, to to them. These were like superheroes. John McClain is, no, this is like a real guy in a real situation reacting realistically to things that are happening. Yeah, it's like, what if the guy with the biggest pair of balls in, that you can imagine, but mm. there was just some dude, you know, uh, got put in that situation. Yeah, and, no, no, yeah. Uh, and, okay, so let's, I, I want to bring in... Um, Alan Rickman, 
to this, you know, um, really damn good actor, damn good actor. Again, similar, similar to um, John McLean. This was a very different kind of villain. And again, you know, when I was just watching this program about, you know, the making of Die Hard, this was his first film, which I never knew. That's crazy. This was Alan Rickman's first, but basically he had was obviously known on, on stage and so forth and everything. And John McTiernan obviously wanted a kind of European yes, uh, guy uh, to play uh, the film. That, that's absolutely key what you just said. And I, and I wanted like, uh, you know how I have metaphorical interpretations of what these movies really mean thematically. Mm. Um, and, and that really plays into it. The, the European thing is, is very important. When I when I get to my interpretation of what Die Hard is really all about, underneath the 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 fine print. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay, no, hold that thought. Remember, remember, remember to hold that thought, and then you, you can we can you can tell me about it towards towards the end. Alan Rickman. So yeah, again, very inspired casting before Die Hard. The villains were, you know, hardened guys very mean, very tough. Maybe they were Russian or so forth and everything, and they were very two-dimensional. But here was a guy that was coming from the stage and gave the action movie villain a lot more depth than we'd ever seen before previously, you know, where it's like, oh, no, no, this is really a character. And there are many dimensions to, to this character. And I think... One of the key moments in this film, you know, was when he pretended to be American, you know? Yeah, I love that scene. He's like, oh, oh God, you're, you're one of them, aren't you? And yeah. also, again, another piece of trivia, again, because I was, I was watching this amazing program on Netflix about you know, the making of Die Hard. So that actually came about because during lunch break, the cast and crew were wondering um, whether... English actors could do American accents. So they then said, oh, so, oh yeah, can you do an American accent? And Alan Rickman then did an American accent. And then they said, oh my gosh, let's use it. And then they then decided to put that scene um, in, in a film. And I think it was very much a theme with regards to how this film was being made, where a lot of stuff was right on the scene, right there, inspired thoughts, and was they were pretty much making... Not fully, but to an extent, making and coming up with, with things as they were shooting. So there's a very organic, authentic feel. Again, another thing um, that I saw. So remember the scene when he's grabbing onto something and then he then slips? Um, grabbing onto something. Is that with the glass? The, the yeah, that, I think it's, 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 it's with the glass. So basically, it's like a bird's eye view shot. He slips and then he realizes that, 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 that what they need to do is shoot the glass. Yeah, yeah so, so basically, he, he slips. I mean, it's a very small thing, but he basically slips and then he then grabs hold onto like a ledge or something. The, oh. the, the stunts guy actually did slip. Okay. But they decided just to keep it in the scene and then they just edited and just came in with, with a different cut. So again, that was actually a real actual slip. But yeah, let's go on to another character. Um, the um, police officer, the, the cop. Sergeant Powell, yeah. I mean, I, I think we should all, like, you know, we should be talking about the script and how tight it is uh, when we're talking about uh, the characters as well. Because... Oh, no, 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 we'll definitely get to the script. No, like, 
I, I just I just want to just deal with the characters first, then we're, we're going to go back to the scripts. But yeah, think- he's a great, he's a, he's, 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 a, he's a good character. If you're uh, if you're a little bit um, of uh, an emotionless um, uh, dirtbag, you might uh, feel like he's uh, his scenes are a bit um, sappy. Yeah, no, I mean, come on. That's not, but that's not that's that's not at all my 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 take on it. I think that uh, uh, he's the heart that that the movie needs. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, and I think it's um, his scenes with John McClane are very key because John McClane he's pretty much all he's pretty much lonely. He's there by himself, so Absolutely the only kind of friend he has it's, is it's him. Ad, but it's 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 needed because it also it also. Uh, grounds the McLean character and makes him more relatable. You know, it makes him more sympathetic to the audience. Mm. That's the truth of it. Because if you didn't have the Powell character and you didn't have somebody for John to sort of uh, pour his heart out and, and, and for, and for the audience to see that, be he's very plain, being, yeah. that he's a human being, that he's got his heart in the right place. And that, you know, he's, uh, he knows that he's screwing up and he's trying to like, uh, get his life together, but, uh, but just can't seem to because he's a flawed guy. Um, and then all you would have is him being a testosterone field, sort of a prick, you know, because you see prior to that, you just see the discussion, the, the, the argument that he had with his wife is a estranged wife. Right. Mm. And then after that, it's just him killing terrorists. Yeah. So you need that. If you didn't have that character, then you would just be like, how do you oh, connect with him? Yeah. yeah. How do you connect with him? You know? And then, yeah, because remember, like that's why I'm saying, you know, that's why I'm saying that to go to to talk about the Powell characters, to talk about how cohesive and 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 perfect the script is, because if you take one element and then the whole castle of cards uh, uh, falls apart, you know, there's not one scene that's there as fluff. Even the opening scene where you know you have it's in the airplane. And you see the man that's like sitting next to John, and um, and he's like nervous. You know, you, you already knowing things about the the character just from that. Or that you know, John that McLean's not used to like. He's not a, a, a high flying type of dude. You know what I mean? He's a guy from New York. He's a cop from New York, and that's the, you know he knows Brooklyn, and that's all about uh, you know that's his universe. Uh, and he's like, you know what I do when I'm nervous? I you know, put it, take my socks out and I make little, I clench my toes and I make little fists with my toes and stuff, you know, just to unwind the, the stress. Mm-hmm. And John's like, huh? And why is that relevant? Well, how's that going to pay off later on? Well, it's going to pay off because a bit later he has that argument with his wife, which is mm. stressful for him. Right. And his mm. wife has to go uh, away. And, and you see John like uh, doing fists with his toes <laughs> and everything. <laughs> And and why is that relevant that he does that? Because he goes barefoot for the rest of the entire movie. Yeah, and that's another like sort of added layer of misery that he has to endure. Because he, one of the things I love about this movie is that it's the first time you really see an action movie star really get roughed up. Like, man, is this guy? Yes, yes. I mean, because okay, look. In fairness. We saw Rambo obviously get tortured and so forth in Rambo 2 and everything and in Rambo, but not to the extent... Because, you see, even if we saw Rambo got tortured, there was still very much a superhero element of it. 
Yeah, it's just, this it's a lot more real. How did he get tortured? Was it like those electrocuting? Uh... Yeah, yeah. In Rambo, basically, in Rambo one, you see him get tortured in Vietnam. Rambo two, he gets like electrocuted and so forth when he gets um, right, caught by yeah, the dudes yeah. in the camp. Yeah, but you always feel like that that electricity doesn't hit Rambo no, the same way as no. the rest of us humans. No, no, because like it's Rambo, especially because oh, well, look, we we can talk about Rambo in a, in a, in, a, in a different sense, but see, like Rambo two was he's not a, a superior rambo one was about ptsd a real character suffering from ptsd rambo two onwards we're not dealing with a superhero so yeah here's what it is die hard it was always from the from from the very beginning to the very end it felt very real so for the first time you're now seeing an action hero who you believe that no this guy can can, can be hot this guy can maybe be killed this guy can be damaged because of how realistic they made him and the events that were happening around him yeah, so and, and, and by the and by the final sequence he looks super wrapped up yeah like his vest is white to begin with at the end it's just red or black <laughs> it's, it's all red and black, black by the red. end it's black. It's full of piss and, yeah, and yeah. blood and, and shit and whatever. But uh, and and uh, soot. But um, yeah, the only place, the only movie I can think of where where the character looks more roughed up towards the end is, funnily enough, Die Hard Three. And Die Hard Three, forget it. He's like he's a, he's a zombie by the end. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's one of the things that also makes the the character relatable. Yes. Okay. So. Um... Talking about the scripts right now and just the story, because I think the again when when I did watch it, of course, look, superb direction, superb direction, superb um, acting, especially a, a superb performance by Bruce Willis, his breakout performance. But when I watched it, because this is what I always say to people, whenever people are like excited for a new project, guys are always like, oh my gosh, like yes. They've got really Scott, they've got Spielberg. Oh, yes, they've got Dead Watch, they've got Tom Cruise, and people always miss on who's writing the, the, the script. Ah, no, no, it doesn't matter. We've got no, 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 no. It doesn't matter who the director is, it doesn't matter who the actors are, who's writing the scripts. Al Pacino said that, praise me only once for Scarface. I was only reading the lines that Oliver Stone wrote down. So <laughs> I am just a conduit for the screen. Yes, you can improvise, but to an extent, I'm not going to improvise the whole film. So I'm only just reading off the words that have been written. If the words are garbage, I can try and make them good, but there's only so much I can do with, with garbage yeah. material. I mean, and there's directors that are more lenient with that. I mean, Tarantino, if you try to read one line off of... Uh, oh, oh, oh like, no way. That's not what it says in the fucking script. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay no, okay, no, okay. That's what's in the fucking script. Okay, no, look. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, that guy's... No, but see... Well, I love that actors take... I mean, they all respect them a lot, so they, you know, they're, they're happy to be... Bossed around like that when 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 you know that the, the guy that's doing it is that good, and why would you want to change a Tarantino script? That's the first oh no 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 no. It's like so. listen once when you're dealing with a guy like a Tarantino, not, you don't want to change the script, man. Or like a Mario Puzo, or or like with a Frank Darabont. Like these are like the best, of the best. Just to read what it says on that script, you know. Um, mm. but this again, look, I think you no, know, we have to really. Credits both of these dudes, man, both Jeb Stewart for because the, the first draft is always very, very hard to do. You must always, always give credit to the, the guy that puts up the basis and the foundation. 
because the the guy that does the first draft is just as important as the guy that does the final drafts. Who base because the first draft is like just like the base of the cake and the icing and all the extra little bits is the final draft. So for both Jeb Stewart and Steve and uh, Souza, like I, okay, I'll say this again. We will not argue about what genre to to put this film in, but let's say we're just talking about an action film and so forth. This has to be one of the. This has is probably the best script. I think. Yeah, I think it's it's it's. I, I can't think of a better script. It's amazing. There is one flaw. That's why I'm sort of torn on 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 the Powell character. I did say that he he, he offers like sort of like the emotional anchor mm. in, in in the movie, but like any movie, and this is Die Hard is in my top five um, movies of all time. Period. Not just action. Oh wow! Movies. Okay. Top five movies. Um, like any movie, as good as they are. Uh, they may be masterpieces, but they always have a small flaw. And 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 the flaw that Die Hard has for me, the script rise is connected to the Powell character, which is that last scene with uh, with Carl uh, resurrecting from the dead, zombie style. Oh yeah, and uh, that Powell shoots he shoots him. You know, because uh, uh, he didn't. Uh, his whole thing, his arc was that you know he. he refused to use a gun because he sort of had like PTSD because he shot a kid and he couldn't get over that, you know? Um, and then Carl resurrects from the dead. You remember this or no? Who is Carl? Carl is the blonde German guy that's... With like, it, or that, that has the massive really, fights with... Me, 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 yeah, with really, me, yeah, like evil looking dude that has... Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. McLean yeah. and McLean ends up literally uh, hanging him uh, yes, on on a on a chain link, you know, like yeah. on chains, like hardcore mm. chains, and you see him like, there's no way any human being could survive that. And then they did like he resurrects from the dead. Basically, it's like, what the fuck is this? A, like an action movie, or is it is it becoming like, uh, you know, La La Land, or it just it sort of uh, it loses I mean, it. I don't think that's enough for it to be. I think because. It's just Again. a flaw. For me, it's a flaw. You know, I, I didn't buy that. No, no, no. I mean, no, for me, I, 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 based on the kind of tone it was going for, it didn't really take too much out of me. Take, for example, again, um, when I was watching the documentary. So you remember when the ambulance comes out of the van? Uh, yeah. So basically, um, when they were doing the screening for the cast and crew, when you actually see the um, villains come out of the um, big truck to begin with, there is no ambulance inside of the, the, the van. And they were like, oh my gosh, we have to reshoot it. Then McTennant said, guys, do you really think that the audience is really going to give a damn that there was no ambulance there or not? No. <laughs> you know, like, now nah, there's no point in going back and just to reshoot that. Yeah, it's, funny. it's funny that the director is saying that. You yeah. can't hear any people are going and saying he's like, no, no, listen, nobody's gonna care. And they don't. The truth is yeah, they, don't. No, they, they don't. I mean, I, because especially once your film is so good and it's a certain kind of film, it isn't like a serious, dramatic kind of film, eh, it is not gonna bother too much. So um you actually okay, so let's so last two things, because I think last two things I want to talk about is arguments for the genre and what you feel this film is about. So let's first do arguments of genre now. The reason I feel that if I am, do you know what is? Do you know what's what's interesting? So I typed "diehard" in Google, 
And the genre they put on Google is mystery thriller. That's crazy. Which is interesting. Okay, so I think that's a bit uh, mystery thriller, which is like, okay. I mean, like for me, that's more like seven. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so, 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 so for me, no, that's not that. I would rank this as an action comedy. Now, when people say action comedy, they say, wait a minute, this isn't Beverly Hills Cop or Rush Hour. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, or 48 Hours. Or, or 48 Hours. I'm, I'm like, okay, that's fair. But my thing is, when last did you watch Die Hard? Uh, four days ago. Oh, four days ago. <laughs> okay, so so so, 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 so your brain is fully fresh. See, if I think about it, I just show you know, quick, quick, quick thing again. Um, because I was, I was, I was, I was, I was discussing this. So I, I did like this short film, like um, on the weekend. Um, and I was discussing this with these actors, and they were saying that um, oh no no, when they watch a film once, that's it. They watch it maybe twice, and I'm like. I've seen the I've seen the Tim Burton Batman film maybe a hundred times or so yeah. forth. Yeah. So mean, I'm like, I, I don't I, I can't understand people who love it. Are, they're not movie lovers. If you're a movie lover, you watch uh, the movies you love repeatedly. That's just yeah. It's, it's like I mean, because my thing because I think he says that, oh no, like you won't have the same emotions when watching that film. But I'm like, absolutely. But then that's the beauty of a classic. A classic film is I told you I've watched the Batman. At least a hundred. I've been watching Batman since I was six, six years old, and every time I watch it, oh, it's different. Sometimes it different. You get different feelings yeah. as well. It's never the it, same. I experience. catch very small things, very little things each time I watch. I'm like, oh gosh, I didn't notice that. Oh, I didn't notice that he did that with his eyes. Oh, I didn't really notice that was in there. You notice very few things, but even or, if or you, you don't, or you just perceive the movie in a different way, in a different way according to your mood, you know. Uh, that's something that happens to me all the time. But you know, if it's a movie I love, I always love it. But I love it in a different way. And I might. Uh, 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 you were mentioning the the, the comedic uh, elements of, of Die Hard. This last mm. time I watched it, uh, yeah, I found myself laughing, but more amused by how clever they were about everything. You know what I mean? Uh, not just the comedic bits, but uh, but yeah, the comedic bits were landing really solidly. No, no, but, but see, 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 my arguments for which is why, when I think of the greatest action films, but you have to give me, give me scenes, give me scenes that you think are really funny, but you, you, you can't just say it's a, it's, it's a comedic film and not, and not oh, I mean, it. okay, pretty much almost every single, like, almost every other line With that John McClain says is funny, almost no, oh, yeah, but the, uh, like when he's like in the in the in the shaft. Yeah, uh, and he's like, "Come down to the coast. <laughs> we'll get together. Have a few." No, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, no. Do you know what's one of, one of the funniest scenes? You know when um, so, oh, no bullets. You know, oh, oh, no that's hilarious. It's like, you know, wait, what do we think? I'm stupid. <laughs> you know, yeah, or, like, um, or, or, I found the whole Johnson and Johnson. You know when they no more table, like, pal. When, they, when they're like, uh, "What are you going to do now?" No more table, pal. And he goes like, "Next time, make sure you have uh, enough ammo." And he's like. What do we know when he wraps around? He sends down the guy and it says, like, ho, ho, ho. Yeah, now I have a machine gun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, now, now I have a machine gun. Basically, it's like the. It's really hard to say because I get where people are saying that you can't put Die Hard in the same comedic playground as Beverly Hills Cop and 48 Hours on Russia. I get that. 
But my thing about it is that, okay, this this is this perfect way. Die, uh, what's it called? Um, Beverly Hills Cop, Rush Hour, and so forth. Their first thought is comedy, and then detective, police work, and, and everything. But the first, like Beverly Hills Cop, was like, no, we have Eddie Eddie Murphy. This is primarily a comedy with detective stuff, just to add a a, a bit more weight to it. For Die Hard, the initial thing is action, like 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 a situational action film with comedy on the side. But my thing is that the comedy is so good that you can't just put it Rush, as a side thing because 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 look put it this way. There's one thing. See, maybe it's how we view it. There's one thing where oh yeah, that's pretty humorous and like. There are a few humorous moments in Seven. It's a dark film, but there are a few humorous moments in Seven. In Die Hard, there are points where no, that that's hilarious. That's funny. I'm re- I'm laughing out loud. Like I'll rewind and say that's funny. Let me rewind it because that's just hilarious. So it's like if I'm doing that, I've got to call you like a, a action comedy. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of funny scenes. The, the I'm thinking of. Uh... The what's the name of the? I can't believe I forgot the name of the, the the really uh, the coked up uh, creep that that's that's putting the moves on uh, McLean's. Uh... Oh, um, I've got it. Um, Thornburg by William Atherton. Thornburg. No, it's not Thornburg. It's. Uh... Oh, oh it's it Ellis? Ellis. 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 Yeah. Ellis. <laughs> Ellis is an hilarious character. Oh, oh, the, oh, oh, yeah, no, that guy was cheesy, but oh, yeah. He's yeah. like, oh, it's Bobby, you know, uh, I'm your white knight and shit. And he's like, and then he gets, he's, he's about to get shot and he's like, hey, Hans, put away the gun. This isn't theater, you know, oh. this is radio, not theater. Uh, he's just, uh, and he, he does, he delivers his lines really well and he, he plays one of the most convincing. Uh, Hold on. So what did so he said to Hans? This is radio, not theater. Yeah, this is radio, not theater, Hans. Uh, because you know, do you know, do you know what I think? That was maybe an in joke because Alan Rickman came from theater. Ah, maybe and this yeah. was his first film. So, he, right. so, so you see. So now, when you now look at the film again, that line now takes on something different. Now that you know that this was his first film after doing theater, that had to be an, an in joke. It had to be an in joke. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I want you to now talk about because because always it's always interesting when you say this this stuff. What's so and again, watching a film multiple times. So obviously, you may have come to this revelation viewing it with older eyes. So yeah, what's I do. I think, about? I think- from the beginning, you know, I always I always uh, try to focus on the sense that that a movie gives me, on the uh, sensation that it gives me, um, to try to sort of grok what it's what it's really about or what it could be trying to communicate underneath the the the, the, the surface. Uh, and uh, and I, weirdly, the, for me, I always got a sense of jingoism with, with this with this movie. I always got a sense of American patriotism, even though I'm not an, an American. You know, I always thought, man, America's badass. And I never understood why until I started uh, viewing it through the frame, through the lens of this being really uh, a metaphor for America trumps Europe. 
and America as personified by John McClane, and Europe as personified by uh, Hans Gruber. And uh, why do I say that? Because McClane is America uh, to a T, man. He's young, brash. He's substance addicted. You know, you can you, there's allusions to him being an alcoholic. Sense of humor, a sense of, uh, uh, like an immaturity, uh, but mm. uh, uh, but uh, uh, an immature sense of humor that's uh, very uh, uh, brash again. Uh, but he's also extremely courageous, and uh, he's a little. Uh, he's got an itchy trigger finger, but he's got his heart in the right place, and. Uh, and uh, he's very ballsy, basically, you know, the testosterone field. That to me is sort of a summation of uh, American qualities. Whereas Hans Gruber represents Europe. He's older, he's more. Smog, very smog, very arrogant. More sophisticated, uh, more intellectual, uh, but he's also slightly effeminate. And mm-hmm. lacks balls in a certain way. You know what I mean? He's got, he's got, uh, he's, he's very wily, but he's, but when it when it comes down to it, he's he's uh, he's a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, he, he buckles under the the pressure. He doesn't have the same gravitas, physical courage that uh, that uh, McLean does. And um, and that's the sense that, that I always got that it's it's about that. It's 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 about. Uh, I think Nakatomi sort of represents Japan, you know, and and it's almost like a proxy war between America and Europe to see who would get their 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 mittens on on, on Japan and and would uh, and uh, apply their influence at, at at a rising economy. Back in the day, everybody was talking about Japan as superseding, uh, you know, like the the way that they're talking about China now is the way that they spoke about uh, Japan. And Japan was all, always very isolationist, but there was a sort of like a, a frenzied um, competition to see who could put their mittens on the J- Japanese economy and sort of like, uh, you know, control, try to control it, which never came to pass. But uh, but that's the framework within uh, which Die Hard was released at, at the time, you know, sort of like the historical... Uh, uh, backdrop. But, but, but my question is this, though: When the guys were writing, do you feel that no, they didn't know they, they, they didn't. had this consciously or subconsciously? Absolutely subconsciously. Absolutely. If you ask McTiernan, he probably doesn't know. Mm. But I feel I feel that that's what the movie is. You know? Yeah. I mean, I mean no, 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 no. As you say that. Yeah, I think you are probably right because in a very – because I believe that if, let's say, I'm American and I've never left America, and again, what's it called? 90% of Americans don't even own a passport. But if, let's say, I was American and I'd never left America before, my view of Europeans would probably be the guys in Die Hard. Yeah, absolutely. Also, another – that's important is the Powell character and the racial relationships. I know that it's very uh, 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 trendy to say that Americans are very racially torn, 
Mm. But I feel that they're much more uh, like, the, the race relationships was at least when Die Hard was released was much more positive and and uh, and and and, and uh, well integrated than 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 Europeans. You know, Europeans had Hans Gruber has like a, a black guy working for him. Yeah, but it's sort of, he's he's sort of like a disposable asset. You know, but uh, let me but actually no, let me even speak on that. It's, I'm very happy actually went there because the black character that you have for Hans Gruber is not normally a role given to a black guy. I.e., he was the tech dude, the hacker, yeah, who was who was good with computers. Black guys don't normally get that kind of role, mm-hmm. so he was he was sort of like a Nedigan character. And for the Sergeant's Powell, he wasn't the hey you man, I'm black, yo 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 blah blah. He was just a character who, you know, he probably has a family, a job and everything, and just, you know, just doing his thing as a police officer. So, and this is, this maybe speaks to a bigger thing. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, let's, I want to bring in McTiernan here because I think that it is a McTiernan thing because you look at Predator. One of the biggest things for Predator for me specifically as a black guy was how amazingly well-drawn and unstereotypical the character of, uh, Mac and Dylan were in mm-hmm. Predator. And when you now look in Die Hard, um, even when you just look at the black characters there, there's nothing about them that spills black, black, black. I mean, maybe to a small extent, the Argyle character might be, but look, he's young, you know, so like, you know, you know that was how we, a young black guy would, would act in the 80s. But for especially for Sergeant Powell and for the yeah, actors, you see how his best friends, McLean's like uh, for, uh, uh, friendship, uh, like ties that are uh, forged in the movie are with black guys. And uh, I mean, that to be entirely coincidental, but I think mm. it speaks to race relationships in America, which at the time were much more sane and much healthier. Uh, than they would have been in the old continent. Uh, I feel that Europe has a much harder time with. Uh, they're much more segre- segregationist. You know what I mean? So, so, so would you say that's the case now, or that was the case then? And th- now it's I, I I feel like partly because of uh, the media and everything, they they try to race, uh, they try to jack up racial tensions all all over the place. But uh, I think that that from when I was raised. I would go to America and I would see that the you know race wasn't really a thing. It wasn't so much uh, um, you know African Americans were just part of America and, uh, yeah. and and seemed to be perfectly well integrated. That's not the case now. I feel like there's there's a return to um, race tensions. You know. Oh, oh, oh! So, so you think in America it has gotten worse. Recently. It has gotten worse, but only in the last, uh, I would say, like uh, maybe seven years or six. No, but, years. but you know that's because again, this is something I even want. It's very interesting that you even bring that up because what I've always held is, especially because again, nineties for me. That's I just believe that's the best decade of of film. And when you look at the nineties, there was, and you look at the kinds of roles that were given to black actors, they were very unstereotypical. You know, and you, and there were so many black actors, top to bottom, in different kinds of roles, playing very different kinds of characters in the nineties. Then, for some reason, like yeah, it felt it was totally natural. Just yeah, it, it felt more natural. But just like in the past ten years or so, 
it just seems because there's almost like a thing of like, okay, this is now the black film, man. This is now the black character. We're now pushing diversity. Okay, like we're now being diverse just for the sake of being diverse. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel as organic or natural as it was back in the nineties. Sure, you know? that, I mean that's that's part. That's one of the reasons why I felt like. Uh... It's also like you know, there's a lot of identity politics these days. And yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, like, like, like back then, it was just I'm just we're just making a film. You know, we're yeah. just making a film. So, exactly. okay. So, just to round off with Die Hard, um, why do you think that it holds such? Before we get there, is it really the? Would you really call this a Christmas film? For me, it's got a lot of Christmas uh, associations with it because, well, it takes place in Christmas. And I, before all this Christmas film uh, uh, hoopla started uh, getting traction, uh, I just I felt compelled to watch it in Christmas for some reason. So any movie that I feel compelled to watch in Christmas, um, I consider a Christmas film. I probably watch Die Hard during the Christmas season more often than... Uh, any other? Maybe um, Scrooged. Scrooged is the other one. <laughs> it's between Scrooged and uh, and Die Hard for me. So yeah, it's a Christmas film. Yeah, in that sense. Yeah, I'm okay. It's not like Taylor went like, I want to make the greatest uh, Christmas film of all time. No, he was trying to do an action movie. Yeah, it's it's it's. No, no, I mean, it was a byproduct. The whole Christmas thing was a byproduct, pretty much. And it's got, and the composition of the the music. It's got those jingles constantly, and and. Uh, and the weather outside is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, I mean, I mean, I mean, I would still say Home Alone Two is more Christmassy than this. Oh um, yeah, sure. Yeah, Home Alone Two is uh, very Christmassy. Yeah. Actually, I, I, you know, in a weird way, even if it's not, <laughs> this would be sound weird. I still feel like I would probably feel more Christmassy watching Nice Nightman before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Even if that's much more of a Halloween film, I don't know that there's something Christmassy about that. I don't know why. All right, so it's Randolph. So why do you think? But but hold it's... on, just to, just to just to cap off like that uh, that little theory that I had, hmm. uh, I I think that uh, because I feel that this is what Die Hard is really all about is that uh, if you look at the sequels, they sort of embrace it more and more. You know, uh, like McLean becomes more of like a symbol of America towards his later film, but more, uh, how do I say this, more uh, uh, openly so, you know? Okay. Live free or die hard. It's got the American flag. Oh, I mean, look, look, you you don't even need to say anything more. Live free or die hard. I mean, that's like stopping the face. All right. So, why do you think this film has such an impact? Upon every, everyone and why you think it's so revered, um, and and why like again it's like it's because when everyone just we could talk about the whole greatest action film and everything, but just beyond just action, people just really love this film. And even right now in twenty twenty, you say Die Hard, there's there is such reverence. Yeah, I, film do, holds. I think it's it's masterfully directed. The script as tight as can be. Uh, it's got it, it's got a, a jingoistic feel where you think like you know America is where it's at um, for me, and um, it's got an amazingly crafted uh, protagonist and an amazingly crafted uh, antagonist, and that's very tough. Usually, you have one or the other to have two, and to pit them against each other where and, and they're totally different from one another. 
but you feel like that it's uh, that it's it's a battle of the of the titans. You know, it's uh, it's a very uh, even fight. Uh, that's such a rarity. You know, you can't. Uh, where else would you get that in, in movies? I think for me, I believe it's a case of where before Die Hard, the action movie. I think everyone likes action. But I think before Die Hard, the action movie genre was like this kind of cult thing in the underground of like, hey, look, look this is our action thing, and you're not it, it, it invited unless you know you're of a particular ilk. So what Die Hard did was it's opened up the action genre to the general audience. Before then, action was just there in the in in the corner. But what I did, Die Hard did was okay, we've got action, but we're going to bring in the family elements. We're going to bring in Holly McLean in there. We're going to bring in a few of the comedic elements. We're going to bring in this Bruce Willis guy with his wisecracks. We're going to bring in the kind of brotherly good friend elements. We're going to bring in the Sergeant Powell in there. And we're going to also be funny, but not overtly funny. We're, there's going to be a bit of levity mixed with danger as well. So the very, and I always, the, the, the key thing here is just that when you're mixing genres, you have to have a balance. The pendulum can't swing too much in, in, in one arena. And I think what Stevens, D'Souza, Jeb Stewart, um, McTinnan were able to do was balance many different genres and cater for many different audiences in the right way. So as an audience member watching it, you're like, oh, I don't feel isolated by this being this quote-unquote action film. Yes, it's an action film, but it's an action film where, oh my gosh, I'm laughing at a few of these these jokes. Oh my gosh, I'm really, I really care for this character. I really want this character to win. But even more so, as we said, there's a sense of danger because this is a realistic character who you can connect with a lot more than you could those other action movie stars who seem like these far out of reach gladiators. The kind of regular blue-collared action hero kind of guy was a game changer. A massive a game, game changer. changer. And I don't think it's been done very well since. No. And 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 uh, and not only is it a game changer, it almost makes it, it makes him more badass than any of the other dudes, I feel. And do you know you what know? The, 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 the key thing is, as we've said, I mean, because obviously you had Passenger 57 that, that came afterwards with Wesley Snipes and everything. And you've had many, many copycats. But my thing is, is I'll, I will argue that if they had brought in John McTiernan to direct any of these copycats, they would have probably been... Because, again, look, as we even in this whole series, Die Hard 2 is decent, but yeah, it but just didn't well, have the it's same... Like, it's like a... Co yeah, that's a copycat of the first one. Yeah, I mean, it, it just didn't have the same thing. But then when McTiernan came back for um, Die Hard 3, it was like, oh, because Die Hard 3 wasn't a copy of Die Hard 1. No, not it was a whole new spin. For me, I, I only the only two movies that exist in the Die Hard uh, franchise are Die Hard One and Die Hard Three, and they're both amazing. And Die Hard Three is amazing and uh, for different reasons, um, but um, almost as good. I don't rate it quite as highly, but uh, nearly as good. I was like, man, the the guy did it again, man. Insane. Die Hard's now, you know, it could be it could be Bruce Willis in a toilet. Uh, uh, the next Die Hard, I'm gonna, I'll be first in line. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, see, so, 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 yeah, I think you no. Know, just to round off, I just think that um, for people, if you just definitely want to watch it again, I think what you have to admire when you watch this film again is pay very close attention. I always say to people, 
the script is the bible of a movie that that is the bible it is the foundation for where films have been made so when you're watching this film again listen to the dialogue listen to the words that are being said and look and listen to how characters are being presented but also pay close attention to the direction of McTinnan because again as machine said is what how he's able to frame shots pace the 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 film story and even, even though, sorry, sorry to interrupt but it's, it's something we didn't mention and, and I feel it's worth uh, mentioning mm. is the fight sequences the fight oh, yeah. sequences prior to Die Hard and you really don't see it in any other movie other than Die Hard uh, they're all like choreographed and and and, uh, and and super like uh, all right you punch me then I punch you and then I do a roundhouse kick and then you you know, stumble a, a mm -hmm. little bit and come at me. You know, these, these stunted um, choreographed um, sequences. And Die Hard is like, it's real. It's real fighting. It's like yeah. this sloppy, uh, uh, arms flailing, uh, you know, fight for your life. Uh, it feels very realistic. There's, it feels there's realistic. a sense of, of scratching and, ah, and the guy's like, and, and you can tell, you know, Willis really does a convincing uh lunatic you know like somebody who's like stuck in the corner and he's like he's like a, a caged animal that's gonna come out clawing and biting and yeah and that's what uh, and and those are the fight sequences in, in die hard it's like he him t like wrestling with this dude and falling down the stairs and the dude breaks his neck by chance you know what i mean mm. mclean is just as fucked up and he only survived by an inch or yeah, whatever you know. I'm derailing the conversation. Well, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not. I think because we sort of sort of mentioned that, but I think you know that is very key because again, it speaks to the to the point that I was making in the sense of like, you know, why is it held in such high re regard? Is because the prior to this, it's it's changed the game with regards to how to present an action film. It changed the game with regards to how to present the action star, how to present. Um, action scenes but also what an action film should be so it sort of exp expanded the idea of what an action film should be like why why can't an action film be funny why can't it have comedic moments and moments of levity why can't it why can't it tell a compelling story where there are true stakes and you can really care about the characters and you have well-drawn characters rather than two-dimensional stereotypes so this was just all or rather one-dimensional stereotypes it's all many things so guys look man so that is this um sessions week of um womb done for die hard I, I believe that we sort of you know in this, in this in this hour we sort of dissected deep into all the stuff so remember you know if there are any films you want us to dive into if there are any films that you want us to dissect please put them right down there in the comments below so we can take in your suggestions man so machine any final words that's it thank you so much for having me man. Look forward to the next one. Possibly uh, Fear and Loathing. What do you think? No, I'm, I mean, look, there, there, are, there are so many. There are so many. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, because I, I just saw a picture of it. I'm thinking of, you know, Fellowship of the Ring. Mm, I love it, yeah. I you like know, Two Towers more, but, but yeah. Why not the trilogy? Yeah, that's good because maybe because I have a few thoughts on Return of the, the King, which might not be the popular view. But yeah, I mean, that, that could be a thing of it. Let's, let's do that whole Actually, that'd be the thing, you know, dream franchises, you know, the Lord of the Rings franchise, they maybe do the Star Wars franchise and just put them all, all in one and I'll talk about how good the, the these trilogies are and, and stacking them up against other ones. All right, guys, 
that's all from me, from me and Machine. Peace out, stay true, and we'll see you on the on the next one. Peace. Peace, peace.